Hello and welcome to the Growth Lab at Harvard University's weekly podcast. For over 10 years, Venezuela has been plagued with a deep economic and political crisis that has also recently transpired into a humanitarian issue. In the past five years, GDP has gone down over 50% and hyperinflation is forecasted by the IMF to reach over 1 million percent for this year, 2018. The economic downfall has also led to shortages in food, medical supplies, and other commodities nationwide. In their latest research paper, titled Fool's Gold, on the impact of Venezuelan devaluations in multinational stock prices, Miguel Angel Santos, Danny Bahar, and Carlos Alberto Molina analyze how multinational companies with subsidiaries in Venezuela have been impacted by currency devaluations as the economic crisis worsened. On today's Growth Lab podcast, Camila Lobo interviews co-author of this research, Miguel Angel Santos, who provides insight on the current economic crisis in Venezuela and describes what motivated them to delve into this research. Miguel, thank you for talking to us today. Before we get started, could you briefly introduce yourself and talk a bit about your role here at the Center for International Development? Yes, I'm Miguel Angel Santos. I'm a senior research fellow at the Center for International Development. And as such, I participate in research projects with governments and do research on development. To put our listeners into context, could you tell us a little bit more about the current economic situation in Venezuela? Yes, absolutely. Well, the country has lost 50% of its economic activity in five years, and it's also registering one of the most intense episodes of hyperinflation in history. We know this not because the central bank, because the central bank stopped publishing inflation figures in 2015. So now there are many sources like MIT that has an app that gathers prices and puts them on a web page. And also the National Assembly of Venezuela, following the central bank previous methodology, publishes a figure. According to that figure, Venezuela has been eight months into hyperinflation now. It started in October 2017. Over the previous 12 months, hyperinflation has been 45,000%, and the IMF forecast for the year it's above a million percent. When you look at these two lists, like largest falls in GDP in the world, and most intense hyperinflations in the world, Venezuela is the only country that shows up in the two list. That is to say, like Brazil had hyperinflations but never lost this much economic activity. There were countries that lost economic activity and never went through hyperinflation. Mm -hmm. Venezuela is the only place Mm -hmm. that shows up in the two most intense recessions, loss of economic activity and hyperinflations, which gives really a dimension of how the crisis is. Okay, and a key aspect of this crisis has been the devaluation of Venezuelan's currency, the Bolivar. So how is this devaluation calculated and how does that affect both the Venezuelan population and foreign firms that have subsidiaries in the country? Well, there has been an exchange control in Venezuela that was implemented 2003, and it's still in place. At the beginning, the control was implemented, as in most countries, to try to give the central bank more control over foreign reserves at a time of scarcity, and then once the oil boom started, it was kept in place to be used as an instrument of political blackmail. The control works like all the controls in the world. There's an official rate for which to buy dollars at that rate, you need an authorization, and there's Mm -hmm. a parallel market rate that in Venezuela is semi-legal. So if you don't want to go to the official market and you want to buy dollars in the parallel market, and the government wants to tell you that's illegal, they have enough grounds 
to prove mm -hmm. that's illegal. So it's a very gray situation. It's not a totally black, but it's a gray mm -hmm. slash black market. Many people have gone into jail over the course of oh. these years because of this. So there's a credible threat that if you use that market, you're going to be legally liable. So the official rate begun at a price, and the parallel market rate for some years was 30%, 40% about that rate. But then we reached a ridiculous point last year where the official rate was 10, parallel market rate was more than 1,000. Wow. So if I give you dollars at 10 and you turn your back and you sell it in the parallel market, you make a tremendous profit overnight. So the control has been a tremendous source of corruption and also a way for the government to give militaries and other people helping the government sustain in power some like resources. It affects multinational companies and Venezuelan companies because you need to import goods to produce intermediate inputs, parts, raw materials. But those imports arrive in the port and if you don't show them the authorization to buy dollars at the official rate, import those goods, they won't let those goods enter the country. So the government controls all the flow of goods and all the flow of dollars by using the control. And if you have profits, and this is important for multinational companies, you make profits in Bolivares, like American mm -hmm. Airlines makes profits in Bolivares, they want to repatriate these profits in dollars to the United States, where the subsidiary, the main mm -hmm. headquarter is, you need to go to the government, tell the government, okay, these are my profits. Mm -hmm. I need you to sell me dollars at the official rate okay. so that I can send those profits back to the United States. Those requests were granted up to 2007-8. Since 2007-8, the government like shut down the granting. Like You can ask for them. You get an authorization. They will never sell you dollars as a private company at 10 when the parallel market rate is at thousands to repatriate dividends back to the United States in the case of an American company or to Europe in the case of a European company. So that's how the control operates. Okay. But then how can companies operate if they don't have this authorization anymore? Well, they don't operate or you gradually stop operating. If they don't give you dollars to repatriate, you can continue operating with the dollars to import raw materials and there's an uncertainty. What mm -hmm. will happen to my profits? So that's the beginning of the crisis. The government stopped doing this, and some multinational companies started thinking, oh, my God, I get dollars to import raw materials, to import parts. I can keep on operating, but if I get profits, how are those profits going to be converted? So the companies kept on operating in Venezuela. There was a time when oil was booming and profits were very big, and they decided, yeah, we will be allowed to repatriate those profits somehow at a later date and started to accumulate profits in domestic currency. And that's what it's at the heart of our pay. Okay, so in this very particular context, you decided to write this paper on the impact of Venezuelan devaluations in multinational stock prices. So what motivated your research? Well, what motivated my research was a press reports that started to appear in Reuters, in Bloomberg, in the world markets, that large multinational companies in the world were losing value when Venezuela devalued. So it became like a sort of news and everybody took the news as normal when you can really think how Procter & Gamble, which is a worldwide corporation mm -hmm. uh, that has a small business in Venezuela because Venezuela it's a country that represents 0.3% of the world economy. It's mm -hmm. really a meager economy. Mm -hmm 
how can that country devalue an official rate that it's irrelevant? Because Proctor, it's been years without mm -hmm. buying dollars at that rate. And then the stock price of Procter & Gamble in the world markets falls 2, 3, 4% in response to the devaluation in a very small country on a rate that it's totally irrelevant. So we set out first to prove, because this were at the beginning, there was news report. There were many news reports in Europe and in the United States that, oh, American companies are suffering, their stock mm -hmm. prices are falling due to Venezuelan devaluations. Given that they are coming from the press, and the press is very light in the way they make like mm -hmm. assessments, we thought, let us first try to prove if this indeed happened or not, like more scientifically. And that was like the beginning of our quest. Okay. And what were you expecting to find, and what did you actually find? At the beginning, I thought we would find nothing, and I thought we will say, like, yeah, the international press is attributing random variations in prices to Venezuelan devaluations. But there's no way that a small country can devalue its irrelevant official rate, and the world markets will react in a negative right. fashion, right. right? So what we found first, we selected, well, which are the companies, international companies that have subsidiaries in Venezuela? So we found 120 companies that have operations in Venezuela that they owned in more than 25%. So okay. they have a subsidiary in Venezuela that they own in more than 25%. We select that and we got 110 companies. And then we run an analysis or, okay, what was happening to the stock price of these companies right before the devaluation? Okay, which was? There were five devaluations okay. we were starting. The first one, it's in February 2010. That one is important because by then, the official exchange rate had been fixed for five years. So we had inflation of 30 40%. But the official rate was flat. And mm -hmm. this is important because if your profits grow in domestic currency with inflation and the official rate remains flat, when you translate them into dollars, you get this huge number mm -hmm. because they are growing with inflation that back then in Venezuela was 20% a year, mm -hmm. 30% a year. But the official rate was 215 for five years. So the companies were recording these profits at the official rate, very big. They were running up with inflation. And at some point in 2008, the flow of dollars at that rate to these companies to repatriate dividends stopped. So the first evaluation we started, it's February 2010, and the last evaluation we started, it's in early 2014. We started five evaluations for 110 companies. And so we used two methodologies. One methodology is look at what happened to the stock price before the devaluation and how the stock price is related to the market in general. And then we see after the evaluation what happened to the market. Given the previous relationship between the stock and the market, what would have I expected to happen to the share? And comparing that to what actually happens to the share gives you something called abnormal returns. This is important because if the day of the devaluation, the world markets fell down and you only look at the stock price, you will conclude, oh my God, the stock price went down. So you have to look at how the stock price of Procter relate to the market before the devaluation. And then you see, okay, after the devaluation, what happened to the market? 
So if the market went down, well, then the company went down as yeah. well. So that's unsurprising. So it has to be that I form an expectation. What would have happened to the stock price in the absence of a devaluation? Uh-huh. So I look at the market, and I look at the relationship between the stock price and the market, and I create my expectation of what would have happened in the absence of devaluation, and then I compare that to what actually happened. Imagine that we build like a, a stock index of 110 companies, which mm-hmm. are all the companies that have yeah. operations in Venezuela. That stock, the days of Venezuelan devaluation, falls between 1.5 and 2%. So uh, people might not think it's a lot, but remember, Venezuela represents 0.3% of the world economy. And there's a day that Venezuela devalues an irrelevant rate because they're not selling mm-hmm. dollars at that rate anymore. And the group of 110 companies falls 1.52% in addition to what you would have expected, even the market movement. So that's the first thing that we found. Wow, this was true. And for the five devaluations we studied, we found this in three of them, in three of them. And that was one methodology. And then we tried to use another methodology to see if we find this. And with the help of Danny Bahar, which is one of the co-authors of the paper, we created a similar company that is not in Venezuela. So we have a company that is in Venezuela that has a certain size, belongs Mm -hmm. to a certain sector. I'm going to create a synthetic company that it's a sort of a representation of similar companies in the world. Weigh them and I create an artificial company. Uh, Like a simulation. A simulation Mm -hmm. done out of companies that are in the same sector, Mm -hmm. similar size, but are not in Venezuela. And I see what happened with this group after the devaluation and I see what happened with the company that was in Venezuela after the devaluation. And these results are based on a methodology developed by Alberto Abadi basically yield the same results for three devaluations. Out of the five devaluations, uh-huh. three of them, we found that the shares in Venezuela move 1.5%, 2.5% below the synthetic shares created with similar companies that are in the rest of the world but are not in Venezuela. So okay. that gave us a result like a very solid ground, and that basically we proved this tremendous myopia of mm-hmm. the market because the more surprising thing is that we found not one, but three of these events. So how come market analysts overlooked the signs of the impact of the devaluations in the stock market prices of these companies? Were they right in overlooking them because Venezuela is such a small country? And if not, how could other stakeholders or players, how could they have played a role in flagging this risk to the companies? Yeah, well, first, this is a paper on myopia, how the markets didn't see this. The companies have legal grounds to register their their profits or their financial statements at the legal rate. So there was a parallel rate at which their profits were like basically dust, and there was a, a official rate. So this is not a paper about companies window dressing their balance sheet. It's a paper about the analysts that are looking into these companies and realize that in February 2010, Venezuela devalued and then they found out all of a sudden that the profits recorded in this balance sheet were not worth what they thought. So you can say, well, yeah, the first time it's sort of normal. Venezuela is a small country. Yeah. Procter & Gamble has operations in all of the world. Who would have known that part of the world profits they report, a big chunk was coming from this very small country. But then three years on the road, we find that the same happened again. And four years on the road, it happens again. So the amazing thing about our paper, it's not that we found this once. 
But the fact that, okay, you were surprised once, the balance sheet statements of this company were misleading because they have profits that were not possible to materialize. I'm going to explain you why in a second. And you were surprised once. But mm -hmm. when you see as an analyst, oh, God, the stock market price went down, you yeah. need to reassess, yeah. well, what did I miss? So the market not only didn't learn about Venezuela, didn't follow Venezuela, you can argue, well, it's a small country, so who would want to follow that? But the market was also reluctant to learn from its own experience. The most important part of our paper is that we studied 110 companies, out of which 81 never registered with the government to buy dollars at the official rate. Never. Okay, because they couldn't... They basically... didn't want it, so okay. they either wanted to operate at the parallel rate or they wanted to operate in a different fashion. So 81 of these companies, I mean, for the other 29, you might have say, well, they were registered to receive dollars at the official mm -hmm. rate. Even if they didn't, they could have hold the expectation that at mm -hmm. some point they would because okay. they were legally registered and authorized. 81 of the companies were not even eligible to buy dollars at these official rates. And these are the bulk of the results are focused in these 81 okay. companies. And they were still evaluating the stocks based on the official rate. Yeah, their profits in Venezuela were recorded at the official rate because it's the only legal rate. Mm -hmm. So what analysts miss is, wow, these 81 companies were not even registered to mm -hmm. buy dollars at that rate. So they could have reassessed their expectations of how much are those profits that have been accumulating over mm -hmm. years? How much are those profits worth in terms of dollars at the parallel okay. market, because these companies are not even registered to access the official exchange rate. So that makes the whole thing more amazing. Like, I'm not talking about a company saying, yeah, I was registered, so I have the expectation I will get dollars at this rate. 81% were not even eligible. So how come the market missed this? Well, I know of people in Venezuela that made lots of money by selling shares of these companies in advance, that they did realize I see. these multinational companies are valuing their profits at the official rate. The analysts in the world markets are not noticing that, valuing the stock at a higher price than it should. So they sold the stock short and they make a nice profit. Those were a few ones that I know that were in Venezuela and understood the implications mm -hmm. of the exchange control well. Analysts outside Venezuela didn't seem didn't to have noticed context. that or not with enough strength as to eliminate these abnormal returns that we recorded by the two methodologists. So are these companies still in Venezuela? And how do they respond to this economic downfall, not only in terms of the devaluations, but Taking into account the country's political and economic and humanitarian crisis as a whole, are they still operating in Venezuela? Well, one thing about the study is that we only work with the companies that were in Venezuela in the five years. If a company dropped at some point, we drop it from the sample okay. because we wanted to have a steady sample. So these companies, 110, were there for five years. After 2015, after end devaluations have happened, mm. profits of these companies have been vanished, The companies have reacted in two ways. One, they withdrew away from Venezuela. Second, some of them stopped accepting domestic currency as a form of payment. So are working still in the country, but in dollars. I have a famous email from a friend of mine that works at a famous software company that I won't mention, mm -hmm. that the title of the email is No More Venezuelan Money. Mm -hmm. And basically, it was the world CEO of the company wow. sending an email to the operations in Venezuela saying, we won't accept 
any more domestic currency from now on, where whoever wants to pay you in dollars. So the business of these companies have been reduced to the state because it's the only that has the capacity to pay in dollars. And some companies did something that financially, and we had another author in the paper, Carlos Molina, who's an expert in corporate finance, that deconsolidated the operation. That means that the company says to the world markets, in the financial statements that I'm going to show you from now onward, Venezuela is not going to be there. Okay. Venezuela will be subject to a separate accounting. It will be deconsolidated from the total so that you look at a total that it's more transparent. So companies started deconsolidating their Venezuelan operation in 2014, 2015. But by then, all these devaluations have vanished, all these profits they have recorded through the years that okay. were, were worth nothing. And how does devaluation impact the life of the average Venezuelan, if they impact it at all? So... If the companies did pull out of the country because of this, does it mean that there's even more scarcity of the goods and services that they provided, for instance? Yeah, more than the devaluations, what happened is that because oil prices came down, mm -hmm. and Venezuela has less dollars, and because Venezuela, in an absurd fashion, had exhausted all this foreign debt capacity in the boom years. So when you have money, everybody wants to lend you money, and mm -hmm. when you don't, no one wants. So Venezuela has to cut drastically its imports. Actually... Imports in Venezuela have fallen by 75% in five years. That's also another ranking that Venezuela tops mm -hmm. that has no precedent. So imports have fallen by that. And as dollars became more scarce, the separation between the official rate and the parallel market basically exploded. And there was a point where it was 10 and a million. And as we speak now, there's a rate in 300,000, and the parallel market rate is close to 5 million. Yeah. So the separation went wild, and that is just reflecting the scarcity of dollars and the fact that the official rate is totally irrelevant. No one gets dollars at those rates except for the militaries that are close to the regime. So how could this event impact Venezuela in the future? So these level of devaluations, could it harm FDIs coming into the country or could it stop foreign companies from open subsidiaries in the country in the future because Venezuela just seems to be such a volatile economy? Yeah, definitely. You have a super volatile history mm -hmm. and that will make your case harder in the future mm -hmm. for companies to come because they will remember these episodes yeah. very clearly. But... Venezuela, it's a country that right now has no supply of goods, that if you put an operation in Venezuela and you are allowed to function, meaning you're allowed to hire workers and fire them when things are wrong, you're allowed to sell products mm -hmm. at the prices that you want. This is not the case right now? It's not the case. Prices are controlled. Mm -hmm. Labor legislation is extremely protective of the workers. It harms the workers because you don't hire someone that you cannot fire. So all these regulations have made the business of multinational company worthless and they walked out of Venezuela. So in the event that you have a sort of market economy working, Venezuela sells oil and they ever less, but they sell oil, and then they have a demand capacity. So if you allow people to put supply of goods, like multinational mm -hmm. companies, they will come. Now, they will put a high risk on Venezuela, mm -hmm. for sure, because yeah. of everything that happened to them in the past, and the country had this super unstable economic policy, not only over the 20 years of Chavez, but also in the 20 years before Chavez was extremely unstable. So my last question is, What can be done to prevent this myopia from happening again? 
Yeah, we, we do recommend some things in the like companies making a note to their statements. Like when companies disclose their financial results, they don't have the obligation to disclose profits by country. They just give you like a general bill of profits and the regions. So Latin American profit. What we recommend is asking or demanding legally from companies that they put a clause in the note to the financial statements when the difference become really large between the actual value of their profits at official rate and at parallel rates and disclose this to the analyst so that the analyst doesn't have to dig further and can read from the financial statements, oh my God, out of the Latin American profits, 40% is coming out of Venezuela and their value at the official rate, but the parallel market rate is like 900% the rate above. So let me just redo the numbers mm -hmm. and in that way you can assess the impact on the stock price and be more transparent to the market. Great. Thank you so much. If you want to read the full paper, you can go to CID's Growth Lab site. That's growthlab.cid.harvard.edu. We'll also add the link to the podcast description. Thank you again, Miguel, for your time. If you want to learn more about the Growth Lab's latest research and events, please visit growthlab.cid.harvard.edu.